Welcome to the 180th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football and the National Football League, and our weekly looks at the NBA and college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in college football, where Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his weekend predictions. Moving to the NFL, Patrick went 3-1. and one. In NBA action, Patrick went 2-2. Two and two. And in NCAA basketball action, Patrick went 1-3 in his weekend predictions, bringing him to an even 8-8 eight eight record, which leaves him at 535 and 368 overall, a 59.2% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I thought I could have done a lot better. Um... I strive to be a very good NCAA basketball predictor because it is the sport that I know the best. Um, but sometimes that hubris takes over a little bit. And, you know, in a few matchups, I'll just stick with what the rankings say for, you know, for a game like UCLA against Illinois and Baylor against Virginia. Um, although Virginia against Baylor had actually watched both teams but just believed Baylor was better. Um, but then for a game like Gonzaga and Kentucky, instead of sticking with the rankings, I just decided, you know what, Gonzaga looked horrible early in the week when they lost to Texas, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and pick Kentucky in that matchup because I thought they'd bounce back from that Michigan State loss, but nope, not what happened at all. Um, they did not look that great in that game at all, and uh, Kentucky got into a lot of foul trouble, and Gonzaga was just able to pick them apart with that foul trouble. Um, but that's what resulted in those losses, and then Creighton beat Texas Tech, which was my only win, and then... Obviously, I already mentioned UCLA and Baylor lost, two top 10 teams losing to two teams that were just barely in the fold of the top 20, but still very good teams. And now, obviously, Virginia moving into the top five, Illinois moving, I think, into the top 15. Uh, but still, very quality teams, all four of them, and then also, obviously, Gonzaga and Kentucky, and same thing with Creighton and Texas Tech. Um, in the NBA, felt satisfied. You know, I, I had a one-point loss between the Jazz and the Suns. Giannis played a very, very inefficient game. I think he shot 5 of 14 from the free throw line. It led to that video that went viral over the weekend of him shoving away the ladder, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, but Giannis didn't have his best game, and the, the Bucks almost still won that game. So I really wouldn't have changed anything about that prediction. Uh, it just kind of didn't go my way. And then the other two, the Mavericks beat the Nuggets. I got that right. And the Celtics beat the Pelicans, which is something I got right. Going to the NFL, the Packers have just been up and down all year. I thought they were... Finally going to continue to trend up this week, but that was not the case. They got beaten by the Titans on Thursday Night Football. A good win for the Titans on the road. Um, the Cowboys demolished the Vikings. That I predicted right. The Patriots beat the Jets with no offense in the entire game. And then the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football were able to defeat the Chargers, and I got that one right as well. Um, in college football, USC and UCLA decided that neither team was going to play defense for a game. That was fun. Uh, I got I ended up on the wrong end of that. Oregon and Utah decided that no team was going to play offense after a turnover, and Oregon ended up winning that one. And then Louisville was able to upset, well, not really upset because they were favored in the game, uh, but beat NC State, a ranked team, despite Louisville being unranked. And then Minnesota and Iowa played the exact game that you would expect Iowa and Minnesota to, or a costly turnover at the end of the game that was really a lucky bounce, uh, to be quite honest, gave Iowa the victory, uh, and I had picked Minnesota, so that was also incorrect. But overall, an even 500 week, I won't say solid, because I expect to be above 500. Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend, as always, will be posted on our website on Thursday. Let's now move to a quick look back at Week 12 action in NCAA football, starting with the best games of Week 12. Uh, we will start with Michigan and Illinois. 
A lot of close games in the Big Ten this weekend, uh, but especially between Michigan and Ohio State. Both of them looking ahead to each other the next weekend um, and not really taking care of business against really, honestly, teams that you shouldn't overlook. I mean, both of these teams at some point were on the borderline of the rankings, and Maryland obviously never got ranked, but honestly, Maryland is probably a better team than Illinois. I would be willing to say that. And um, Illinois obviously had been ranked for most of the season, actually, uh, after their horrible loss week one to Indiana. They were on a roll for a while, but then uh, got tripped up at Michigan State, or against Michigan State, and then also uh, against Michigan, obviously. And before that, they also lost to, I believe... Actually, I don't remember who they lost to, to be quite honest. No, I lost to Indiana at the start of the year. No, I, I already mentioned Indiana and Michigan State and Michigan. Uh, Purdue? Oh, Purdue. Right, that was last week. Yeah, so they've lost three in a row at this point. Um, they were they were rolling for a while, but now Michigan kind of overlooked. Maybe that's why they overlooked them because they just lost to Michigan State, a team that Michigan was able to dismantle, um, and also that Purdue team that really isn't very good, to be quite honest. And honestly, the whole Big Ten West is pretty bad, so that kind of makes sense that Michigan overlooked them. Had some injury issues to deal with as well on the Michigan side of things. And then Ohio State did the same thing with Maryland. This game ended up 43-30, to but Ohio State scored on basically the final play of the game on a fumble while Maryland was trying to do the crazy pitch play at the end of the game. So it really was more 40, or sorry, 36 or 37-30 to 30, uh, if you wanted a real accurate score. But Maryland had the halftime lead. They were up 13-10 to 10 at the half. Ohio State stormed back to take the lead in the, by the end of the third quarter. They had 17 unanswered in the third quarter, and then it was an even fourth quarter when you factor in that late touchdown. But Maryland definitely battled back in the game, and Ohio State surely overlooked a team that they probably shouldn't have. Um, and then there was that Oregon and Utah game. Oregon looked like they were dominating the game up 17-3 to at the half, but it really didn't feel like it was safe at any point. And then Utah was able to come back and score 14 unanswered in the third quarter behind some strong play from their defense, giving them some good field position. Uh, and actually just straight up giving them a scoop and score also to start the second half. Uh, but then Oregon was able to get a late field goal in the fourth quarter to push them to the lead and eventually to the three-point win. All right, let's move on to the biggest upsets. Well, you have to start with Navy, 4-7 and seven on the season, even after this game, going on the road and beating number 20 UCF, 17-14. UCF was having a very good season this year, but Navy was there to break it up. Uh, UCF not able to keep up their good season. I mean, they're still obviously a good team, but, you know, it's going to put a sour end on it. Definitely could have ended in a New Year's Six Bowl, and at this point, probably took themselves out of contention for that. Much less likely now, because Cincinnati and Tulane just have to win their final games of the season, and then it will be between whoever's ranked higher out of those two teams uh, for that power, or sorry, for the non-Power 5 spot in New Year's Six Bowl. Then you have Arkansas, who's been a good team all year when they've had K.J. Jefferson. They beat Ole Miss 42-27. It was not that close, to be honest, because at the half, this game was 35-6 in Arkansas's favor. At the end of the third quarter, it was 42-6. Ole Miss scored 21 in the fourth, but clearly not enough to end up winning this game. Uh, Arkansas just outplayed Ole Miss. This is what happens when this team is at full strength. They are probably... A top four team in the SEC, you could make the argument they're up there with Tennessee. They probably would have been if they were fully healthy all year. Uh, that's not the most stable argument, but it has a little more merit after this weekend and what happened with Tennessee, which we'll get to in uh, a short bit. 
Uh, but before we go to Tennessee, let's go to another crazy upset. Georgia Tech, in their quest for bowl eligibility somehow after their horrible start to the season, beat North Carolina and ranked number 13, the worst-ranked team ever, uh, 21-17. to Look, this North Carolina team just reminds me of when Iowa was at number two last year, and it was like everybody knew that that team just was not that as good as they were ranked, but they kind of had to be ranked where they were because of the fact that they just hadn't lost games. So you really, despite them winning games, you want to say this team is bad, but you don't have proof because they haven't lost a game yet, and that's what happened with North Carolina. Obviously, they weren't up at number two. That's because they had already lost one game uh, to Notre Dame. But this second loss is the loss that cements that, look, North Carolina is not that good of a team. There's a reason why they were 9-1 and and still only at number 13. They're just not very good. Um, no team loses to Georgia Tech unless you are bad. Pitt is struggling to win, to make a bowl game themselves. They, those are, that, that's the type of team that loses to Georgia, that loses to Georgia Tech. They did earlier in the year. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you're, no good team would lose to Georgia Tech. It's that simple. And we will see that this weekend when number one Georgia locks up their playoff bid by destroying Georgia Tech, probably by like 40 plus, as soon as, uh, Curry Smart puts on film and says, Look, this team just beat a top 15 team in the country. They can come out and beat you. You got to be ready. This is your your season's on the line, even though it's not. Um, they'll come out, destroy them. Uh, no George Pickens, so no fights in the end zones. But uh, there will be uh, th- there will be a lot of fights on the field, and none of them will be won by Georgia Tech. Um, Georgia will easily dismantle them. But speaking of not easily dismantling someone and talking about schools from Carolina, South Carolina. Puts up 63 points on the supposedly underrated number five Tennessee defense. Uh, everybody says this team is all offense, and guess what? They are right. This team is all offense. They have no defense, and this is not very surprising. Um, we've seen Alabama's offense struggle in recent weeks, and now Tennessee giving up, what, like 45 points to Alabama's offense in that game? That doesn't look too good either because even LSU was able to hold Alabama under that. A lot of teams have been able to hold Alabama under that. Ole Miss held them under that. Tennessee's defense just isn't good, and they, as a result, will not be in the playoff. They will be, uh, what, the seventh team? They were the seventh team to become ranked number one ever in playoff history, and they will join Mississippi State as the teams who ended up completely irrelevant out of that bunch who started number one from the SEC by beating Alabama. That seems to be the path to get to number one is be in the SEC and beat Alabama, and that's pretty much the only way you can be ranked number one unless your name is Ohio State or Clemson. Uh, but or look, Georgia. Well, I said Georgia's in the SEC, actually. So. They didn't beat Alabama yet. Well, no, but every year that they have been number one, they have beaten Alabama. Good point. So, yes. Um, but, well, I guess, well, this year they're not getting the opportunity to. But this year they beat the team that beat Alabama en route to that because Tennessee had taken over number one by beating Alabama. The old Alabama um, transitivity. But... Look, we know the playoff committee has Bama bias. I mean, it's not, at this point, it's out there. Also, they're breaking their own rule by having LSU at five just waiting to take a playoff spot from somebody, even though they've never even come close to letting a two-loss team in. Now, all of a sudden, they have one just sitting there waiting for TCU to lose a game, waiting for Mich- waiting for the loser of the Michigan-Ohio State they game. They just won't have a reason to put them in if they should figure out the way to get through the regular season so they got one more game against a and and beat Georgia. They're not going to beat Georgia, which is the good right. thing about That's this whole scenario. Issue. But um, exactly. if they did, they would still be breaking their own rule to sure. let them in. Um, but they would because it's the SEC. So uh, that's all I got on that. But look, South Carolina actually... 
a pretty good team this season, you're not getting any credit for saying that they're impressive or surprising because everybody had them being exactly this good as a 4-4 and SEC team. It's not very surprising. Uh, what would be surprising is if they went this week and beat Clemson. That would then solidify with two top 10 wins on their resume. That would make it a surprising season at this point. Um, some of the wins that we thought they were going to get didn't end up being impressive. I, I think one of the main ones that I look towards is I had them beating Texas A&M at home and that being their signature win of the season, and that all of a sudden turned into, okay, you beat you and the, rest the, 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 <laughs> the ninth best team in Texas behind Incarnate Word in Houston. Uh, congrats. No one cares. So, look, South Carolina, th- this is a good end to their season. They really could beat Clemson because Tennessee is miles better than Clemson. Um, all they really need to do is play as well as they did last week. They're going to need a better performance from their defense, though, to be honest, because, uh, well, frankly, Clemson's offense is horrible, so they probably don't, they probably need the same level of performance, and they could probably hold Clemson maybe 21, 24. But Clemson's defense is way, 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 way better um, than Tennessee's defense ever was this season. So South Carolina's not hanging 63 on Clemson. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so they, they, they'll, they'll probably need to play a little more complimentary on uh, Saturday rather than just rely on their offense. But nonetheless, a good one for South Carolina, an easily bowl-eligible team, probably going steamroll whoever they end up playing against. They might, you know, encounter a very bad Big Ten West team possibly in uh, an Outback Bowl or something similar to that, or maybe even a Big 12 team like Kansas somewhere. They'll probably destroy whoever that team is. All right, well, let's move to your most impressive team of the week. Well, I put Louisville here because they wasn't an upset. It wasn't a road win. Um, it, the game wasn't close. Kind of already talked about it. They played a solid game. They outplayed NC State. They were supposed to win the game. They won the game. Good for Louisville. Uh, 25-10, to kind of in the same category. By the way, they could play They could play South Carolina Bowl game as well, and they would also get destroyed. Um, so would NC State. But, you know, a 7-4 and four team, 4-4 four and four in the ACC, they'll easily make a bowl game. Not making the championship game of the conference. Not in a great conference either, but should be somewhere on the borderline of the rankings, and they deserve to be there. All right, your best road wins. Well, I will start with Georgia beating Kentucky 16-6. Just had to put it somewhere because I would like to mention that they did not necessarily take care of business this weekend, and uh, that is something to note for uh, Georgia, but at the same time, they came out with the win, and that's what is most important. Um, And then I'll move on to number four, TCU, who scrambled last second to get on the field and kick a field goal with the clock running to win the game uh, on the road against Baylor. Baylor obviously came into the season with a lot, with very, very high expectations. I was somebody who was very, very low on them coming into the season, knew that they were overrated, um, and slated them, I believe, to go 8-4. and four. I did. I did have them going 8-4, and four, but also appear in, appearing in the conference championship game off of a lot of really weird tiebreakers. But that's because no one really saw TCU um, doing a lot this year. I, I mean, I think their wins over-under was set at 6.5 or 6, and I even had them winning 7 games, which was somewhat uh, overrating them before the season started. Um, so I will give myself credit for that. Uh, I think overall I rated the Big 12 pretty good outside of the fact that uh, I had Oklahoma going 10-2, and two, but I think most people had that. Um, and then Baylor, I mean, they're, they're going to be within two wins of what I said they were going to be at at the beginning of the year no matter what happens next weekend. Um, either they'll be one win away or they'll be two wins away at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, But look, their, their season kind of derailed, but TCU still had to lock in for this game, play a good game. They are... 
almost, almost messed around too much and almost lost the game because of it. Uh, but they just had three seconds enough on the clock left over for them to win the game. And then I already talked about it. USC, UCLA, no defense, 48 to 45, USC won because UCLA had one final mistake from Dorian Thompson Robinson after he threw three picks already in that game. And USC pretty much never punted unless they missed. No, I don't UCLA think. UCLA didn't punt. USC and UCLA didn't. And USC may have had one. Okay, I, I, I don't punt. remember a punt in that game, but um, I know that USC missed like three or four field goals, though. So they, they definitely did miss some opportunities in the game. game no, kind of no, but that's why, that's why, I mean, it. Uh, but they weren't impressive either because their defense looked horrible. Um, I know that, I know they have, I, I know game. they have offense. Good game, it was entertaining. It, it, it was, it was, ugh. If you don't mind, if you, it was if you awkward. don't defense, it was It was awkward. It was awkward. All right, well, let's, uh, let's move off of college football and move on to week 11 action in the NFL. Patrick, what did you have as your best uh, games of the week uh, in the NFL last week? Well, you know, it's funny that you talk about USC and UCLA going in best games. I had to put the Rams and the Saints somewhere. Uh, the Saints won 27-20. They knocked Matt Stafford out of the game. Pretty, pretty boring 27-20 game, but the Saints deserve credit for pulling out this win, and you can hear the dip in my voice as a Rams fan as I talk about the fact that uh, the season's over. Um, the title defense is over. There will be a new Super Bowl champion this year. There is absolutely no way that this team that just cut their leading rusher on the season, Daryl Henderson, earlier today, um, and as Matthew Stafford in concussion protocol, is going to go on and win seven games in a row and end up 10-7. and seven. Uh, They're not going to win eight of nine and end up, or sorry, win seven of eight to end the season, I guess. Um, wait, I'm, I'm not doing math right, but anyway. Look, seven losses is already too much is the point. The Rams are not going undefeated or one loss for the rest of the season. That's what they'd have to do even have a chance at a playoff spot it's not going to be enough and they're not going to do it anyway um so because of that sorry rams season's over uh i will move on to the chiefs and the chargers where the chiefs won 30 to 27 uh the chiefs just kind of own the chargers patrick mahomes in his career has still never lost a start in division on the road which is an insane stat he's 14 and 0 in his career on the road in divisional games it's just He's Patrick Mahomes, and there's kind of no there's no other way to put it. He just is who he is, and there's really, really no one like him. He is truly a one-of-a-kind player uh, in the league, and he is obviously leading that team to those victories. And, uh, you know, the Chiefs are kind of unstoppable still. You know, they lose all their—you thought they lost enough that uh, they wouldn't be able to compete as much this year, but here they are at the top of the AFC once again. No Tyreek Hill. Still have still having success even with Michael Hardman on IR and all that stuff going on. They have MVS. They have Juju Smith-Schuster when he comes back from his concussion protocol. Travis Kelsey is still the best tight end on the planet and you could argue the best offensive weapon um, alongside Tyreek Hill, who is, by the way, obviously having an, an enormous season uh, in Miami as well. But look, the Chiefs are just too good. Uh, let's talk about two teams who are not too good. These teams are both bad. The Raiders and the Broncos. They were supposed to hold up this AFC West as the strongest division in the league, and all of a sudden, the Chargers are under 500. The Chiefs are being the Chiefs, but the Raiders and the Broncos are both sitting at 3-7 and seven now on the season. They're both bad, not worth spending time on. It was a close game, though it was the only overtime game of the week, so I felt like mentioning it here because, well, it was a close game. But the Raiders won 22-16 in overtime. 
they, they choked a game earlier in the year to the Cardinals in overtime, so I guess this is their vengeance. But uh, too little, too late. They won't be making the playoffs, burying the hatchet with them as well as with the Rams. There are a few teams you could probably eliminate from playoff contention right now, and by a few, I mean probably half the league. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is one of them at three and seven. I don't think, I, I don't think Deshaun Watson coming off a suspension at, at three and seven is going to do any good for the Browns. I, I think they're done. Houston is one eight and one, so they're done. Um, the Broncos, the Raiders, I just said it. The Jaguars, despite having a better point differential, um, I believe than the Vi- yeah the the Jaguars have a better point differential this season than the Vikings, but one of them is three and seven, and one of them is eight and two. So the the Jaguars are kind of done as well. I mean, you could keep going on and on throughout the league. The Bears, the Panthers, the Saints, the Rams, probably the Cardinals. Half the, half the league is probably out at this point. How could you not just come up with the Lions off the top of your head by habit? Because they're 4-6 and six and they're actually not that far behind in their division. Okay. And they are the only team who has won. They've, they have the longest, they have one of the longest, longest win streaks history. going in the NFL. I mean, one of the longest in history, too. After the Eagles have lost, the Ravens have four in a row, the Dolphins have four in a row, the Chiefs have four in a row, and then the Lions have three in a row. So there you go. They, they are quite literally one of the hottest teams in the league, along with the Washington Commanders at 6-5. and five. But... uh there are a lot of teams that are in or out of playoff contention already. And speaking of two teams that are in playoff contention, the Patriots and the Jets played to a 3-3 tie on offense in this game. But the Patriots got a punt return touchdown from, I believe, 85 yards out with 15 seconds left, 12 seconds left in the game as the only touchdown scored in the entire game. Um, the Jets averaged less than three inches per play. Um I would say less than three inches yards per play, but obviously that makes no grammatical sense. But in the stats of yards per play, they quite literally averaged a margin of inches. Um, They had no offense whatsoever. The Patriots just completely stopped them. Uh, And the Patriots were able to ride that to a win. A very old 1900-style defensive classic um, between the Jets and the Patriots. Then you have the Eagles who beat the Colts 17-16, scoring 14 points in the fourth quarter after having a rough few uh, first quarters. They were down 13-3 going into the fourth, but able to rally back and get that win 9-1 on the season now. All right, well, let's move on to the most impressive teams from Week 11. Well, I talked about it a little bit earlier, so I won't talk about it that much. The Titans went on the road to Lambeau and were able to defeat the Packers 27-17 on a frigid Thursday night football edition. Uh, but it was a good win for them, and the Titans are now 7-3 and three solidly in playoff position uh, as you can start to kind of count down the teams at this point. And speaking of counting down those teams, the Ravens at 7-3. and three. They won 13-3 against the Panthers this weekend. Uh, they basically scored all their points in a two- or three-minute span at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and that was all they needed because uh, Baker Mayfield was playing quarterback for the opposing team. So they didn't need very much, very much offense, and... Uh, the Ravens have game plan for him a few times, and I think they know what to do if he was playing with Nick Chubb in the best offensive line in the league, and when he's playing with Carolina and, I don't know, LaVisca Chenault, it's not too hard to game plan for him. So uh, the Ravens easily able to draw up a defensive scheme to stop them. And then, well, speaking of defensive schemes, or lack thereof, I should say, the Bengals beat the Steelers 37-30. This is the first time I'm going to say I'm impressed with the team for losing. Um, I was impressed with the Steelers' offense in this game. They had not had a touchdown over 10-plus air yards the entire season. 
it wasn't a huge play, but they got a 24-yard touchdown to George Pickens on a good throw by Kenny Pickett. And just overall, I am impressed with the fact that the Steelers are growing offensively. I don't see them, obviously, turning it around this season. Um, I don't see them even that much as a strong title contender next year or anything, but they have enough places and pieces in place, I should say, on defense that if Pickett's able to stay healthy and keep improving throughout the rest of this year, you could see them turning into kind of what the Bengals did in the last two years with Joe Burrow, where you have a good quarterback come into play. Um, you have the play, the pieces on defense. I'd even argue the Steelers have better pieces on defense than the Bengals ever had. Uh, and then you just kind of put it all together and hope that your quarterback can do enough to carry you to that. I don't think that Pickett's going to do as much carrying as Joe Burrow did with the Bengals because he pretty much just completely put that team on his back last year um, and brought them to the Super Bowl. But I don't think he needs to because the Steelers do have the defense of a championship. Qual- that that defense could easily win multiple teams the Super Bowl this year. I mean, the Ravens would gladly take the Steelers' defense, even though they have a good one of their own. The Titans would definitely take it. I mean, there are so many teams who would easily take the Steelers' defense over their own just because of how much talent is on there. You have T.J. Watt, you have Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They just have a good defense. Um, didn't show up in this game, but their offense did and that was a positive sign for the future, despite it not meaning much this week. Now, the Vikings didn't have their offense or their defense show up. They gave up 40 points to the Cowboys. They only scored three. This was utter domination by the Cowboys as they go into playing on Thanksgiving again, as they always do. But just a, a beatdown by the Cowboys winning 40-3 to against the Vikings in Minneapolis um, and contributing to that whole point differential thing between the Jaguars and the Vikings. And then finally... The 49ers on Monday Night Football beat the Cardinals in Mexico City 38-10. to uh, I don't really see any way that any team wins the NFC West that's not the 49ers at this point. The Seahawks are good, but with the same record as the Niners, even after all the turmoil that the Niners have dealt with, I just don't see how that team uh, gets better. Look, they're, they have one of the best defenses in the league, and then you pair that with the fact that they had Christian McCaffrey and have Debo Samuel. They have two real um, jack-of-all-trade offensive weapons, and that's just something that no other team can match up with. And despite the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback, he carried them to a Super Bowl before with— well, he didn't carry them. He brought them to a Super Bowl before with a very good quality defense, and I, do, I don't re- see a reason why they can't do the same this year. Oh, if the Lions win on Thanksgiving Day, maybe they'll be on this list for winning four in a row next week, right? Yeah. That wraps up our look at uh, Week 11 in the NFL. Uh, week 12 starts two days on Thanksgiving. Let's move over to the NBA and our weekly recap of NBA action. Uh, let's start with your three most impressive teams of the past week. Well, I will start with the Sacramento Kings. Some of this is a little bit carried over from last week as well, especially when deciding on the hierarchy of these teams. But I will start with the Kings. They went 3-0 this week. They beat Detroit, the Spurs, and the Nets. They averaged 140 points per game last week. Also currently on a six-game winning streak with a tough game against Memphis tonight, although that game has gone final and Sacramento did win that game. So now seven wins in a row for the Kings. They are now 10-6 and six on the season. Um, and also that would make them 4-0 in the last week, but that's a different discussion. The Pacers went 4-0 last week as well, although beating Orlando or playing Orlando twice definitely helps that. Um, and then also playing Houston and Charlotte, so quite possibly playing the worst three teams in the league. But good for Indiana. They now hold the 10-6 and six record because Tyrese Halliburton has been amazing for sure, averaging double-digit assists and also 20-plus points per game. 
But Jalen Smith and Benedict Matherin have flown under the radar as the more underrated players of the season. Matherin is probably the favorite for rookie of the year at this point. Uh, he's averaging almost 20 points per game, and he is just an all-out scoring threat, and he has a big enough role that he will probably continue uh, to play this well. I, I guess Paolo Bancaro will make a push because he's just very, very good. Um, Jabari Smith is probably not going to because he's not as good as Bello, and there was a reason for that, and Chet Holmgren obviously won't be playing for a while if he plays at all this season. Um, and Jaden Ivey just doesn't really have that big of a role with the Pistons with Cade Cunningham healthy that I just really don't see a way that anybody's going to challenge Matherin for the Rookie of the Year, but that's way more down the line. For now, the Pacers are happy with their team's success. Then you have the Clippers, who went 4-1 and this week. They beat Utah, San Antonio, Detroit, and Houston. Their only loss was to Dallas by two points, and look, they played five games in seven days, to come out 4-1 no matter who the opponents were is a very, very impressive stretch for the Clippers. All right, let's move on to your most disappointing teams of the week. Well, I will start with the San Antonio Spurs who lost to the Clippers. They had a tough trip to L.A. They lost to L.A., uh, the Lakers, and the Clippers back-to-back, then lost to Sacramento, then to Portland, then to Golden State. Five, five good teams-ish, not really with the Lakers, uh, but... The Spurs had a promising start to the season, and then they've now lost five games in seven days. Uh, one and nine in their last ten also after their five and three start to the season, so all that promise has kind of gone away. Then you have the Pistons. Uh, like, I, I mentioned them a little bit with um, Jaden Ivey and kind of that whole Rookie of the Year discussion and Cade Cunningham being injured. They also had a bad trip to L.A. after they had lost to Sacramento and then lost to Toronto after they lost to both L.A. teams. They have now lost seven in a row, and with Cade Cunningham out, I don't really see them coming close to playoff contention at all without pulling out a real miracle in the second half of the season. Then finally, you have the Miami Heat, one and four on the season, or sorry, one and four this week. The week started off great because they beat the Phoenix Suns, but then they lost to Minnesota, Cleveland, Washington, and Toronto. Uh, that Phoenix win brought them to seven and seven on the season, so you thought that they were improving, but then they lost four in a row, and they're now at seven and 11 on the season. Okay, how about your player of the week? Well, I went with Anthony Davis despite the short sample size of two games. He carried the Lakers to two wins without LeBron, 2-0 and this week without LeBron playing. 34 points, 17 rebounds, 2.5 blocks, 2, two, two steals, sorry, um, and two assists per game. Just a solid week for him, contributing on all, on all all in all facets of the game except for three-point shooting. He did not make a three-pointer, but honestly, even more impressive that he was able to average 34 and 17 without shooting any threes this week. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at the NBA for this past week. Let's shift gears to college basketball action. And while we're done the topic of shifting, let's talk about some ranking shifting wins. Well, I invented this new category because some of these games were not close and some of these were not upsets. Uh, Texas was not exactly a big underdog to Gonzaga, but it did change the rankings a lot when they beat Gonzaga 93-74 to in the first big home game at the Moody Center, Texas' new arena. Uh, Virginia beat, sorry, number 16, Virginia beat number five, Baylor, 86 to 79 in the Vegas main event. Um, a very big win, a resounding win for Virginia, way far away from home. Uh, well, I would say not really on a neutral site, but I'll really get into what a neutral site is in a second. Um, they beat them 86 to 79, a, a very big win for Virginia. They obviously moved way up in the rankings later, and then we'll talk about what happened in the finals of this event after Number 19, Illinois, beat number 8, UCLA, 79-70 to advance to play Virginia. Now let's talk about what a neutral site is. Because I think Gonzaga has just invented a way to really screw with the net rankings and with 
the tournament committee. Um, they'd beat Kentucky at an arena that is a six-minute drive from their home arena. However, because it is not literally their home arena, it is being counted as a neutral side game, despite it being played in Spokane. Now, if you know anything about Spokane, Washington, the town is not big enough for there to be two arenas that are separated by a lot. It takes longer. I mentioned this as an L.A. person. It would take longer to drive to the Rose Bowl from UCLA's campus once than to walk back and forth from stadium to stadium three times, depending on the traffic, from Gonzaga Stadium that they played in in this game to their arena, their home arena. This is not a neutral site game. And if Kentucky is number 31 in the country in the net rankings, which they probably won't be because they'll probably stay top 30 anyway, but if they're on the border of 30 to the from team 1 through 30 to teams 31 through 50, the tournament committee should honestly override the net like specifically for this one example and make that a quad two game yeah. because this is not the idea of what the net rankings were made to do and what the quadrants were made to do. Neutral sites are games such as the one that Kentucky will be playing next weekend. How about in London where both teams are thousands of miles away from their home city when they play Michigan? How about New York City when you're talking about Michigan and Pittsburgh? I could go on and on and on. I'm using Michigan examples because they come to mind easily. Michigan State and Kentucky and Indiana is a, is a neutral site. Duke and Kansas in Indiana Playing is a neutral site. Carrier. Playing on an aircraft carrier in San Diego is a neutral site, which Gonzaga did earlier this season against Michigan State. Although, frankly, that's also way closer than Michigan State uh, is to that aircraft carrier in specific. But it's just not a neutral site game, and it shouldn't be treated as such in the same way that everybody has been saying the entire college football season that Georgia did not beat Oregon at a neutral site either. They beat them at home because they played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Now, fun fact, you could also walk three times back and forth between Gonzaga's arenas that they play in in this game and their home arena before you could drive from Athens to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So if that was not a neutral site game, this shouldn't be one either. The only difference is that the playoff committee does not use those things in metrics like the play, like the tournament selection committee does, and this actually messes with that. And I'm really hoping for the tournament committee's sake that Gonzaga didn't just create something because if I'm UCLA, I'm scheduling. I, I mean, I would I would ask USC to book out the Galen Center and just play in their arena instead and call it a neutral site game because it's not their home. I would play in Staples Center and call it home. USC should play at Staples Center. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not calling it that. Um, could play at the Forum. You could play. You could throw a game in SoFi for whatever reason if you wanted to. There are so many different possibilities that this opens up. Michigan could play some team from the West Coast at Little Caesars, etc., etc. This is a thing everywhere. It shouldn't be a thing that you can play that close and still have it be called a neutral site. And I I have a feeling people are going to exploit it in the future. You know what the NCAA should do? They should use the same criteria they do for whether somebody can play an NCAA tournament game there, whether it's a home right. I think it's like 20 miles from campus or something. Right, if it's a 20-mile race. Yeah, there exactly. I mean, They already have the rule in place. And, Apply it equally. And this is not even 20 miles. This is 20-minute walking Understood. distance. It's Understood. it's quite literally maybe a mile or two. Okay. Well, should be, um, yeah. But we'll move on from that topic sure. and talk about the close games. Perfect. I, 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 I kind of shouted out these teams, Michigan State and Kentucky, and then Kansas and Duke in Indianapolis for the Champions Classic, which has a rotating set every year and is never neutral based on who the teams are. 
Um, Michigan State beat number four Kentucky 86 to 77 in double overtime. This would have gone in ranking shifting wins. Actually, it was one of the reasons why I created that category. And then I realized, you know what? It was an overtime game. Uh, it was a great game. Michigan State really proving who they are in the season in this game. Number six, Kansas beat number seven, Duke 69 to 64. This was a very, very quality game. Felt like a tournament game. Felt like last year's tournament game between Kansas and Duke. Um, and, you know, they just naturally both of these teams are good. It was going to be a good game. Um, I don't know why I said Kansas versus Duke when that matchup never happened. It was Kansas and North Carolina in the championship game, not Kansas and Duke. That was what I had predicted, not what actually happened. Um, but then let's move on to some teams that were struggling. Well, number one, North Carolina beat Gardner-Webb 72-66. to North Carolina has not dominated a single team this year despite not playing a single good team this year. They cannot be the number one team in the country. I just, they have to play a lot better. Uh, I, I think... It's as simple as that, honestly. I don't have any other words for it. They just need to play better. I, I can't accept this team being number one. I moved Houston up to number one in my bracketology. I moved Gonzaga up ahead of them as well. I also think I moved Kansas up ahead of them because they just they haven't played well enough. Their, their resume is not stacking up well. If the net rankings were to come out tomorrow, this team would not be number one and it wouldn't be close. Um, then you have number six, Kansas, who after that win against Duke, you know, kind of in the same way that football teams look ahead maybe to rivalry weeks, um, they kind of just overlooked Southern Utah. They thought it was kind of a throwaway game on their schedule. A little bit of a lesson for Bill Self, uh, and or sorry, from Bill Self to his team that, you know, you can't overlook anybody. Anybody can beat you, and uh, Southern Utah came very, very close to beating Kansas, but not quite able to pull off the upset. Instead, Kansas still remains victorious, uh, still keeps their top five or top six ranking this week. Then number 12, Indiana beat Xavier in a Gavit game, 81-79. to I have to say, I did not watch a minute of this game because I was literally doing the radio for a Northwestern game <laughs> instead um, while this was on. But then number 20, Michigan beat Ohio 70-66 to in overtime with the craziest basket I've ever seen. Send the game to overtime. Go watch it back if you haven't already. Um, speaking of Northwestern, actually reminds me of when Northwestern beat Michigan a few years ago in Northwestern's only year with a tournament appearance ever with a very, very similar play on a full court pass. Something tells me that Maybe Michigan should spend one day of the year, have their basketball team go to the secondary practice um, at the football facility and learn how to defend the deep pass. It might do them well no, uh, in no late games. In but, well, yeah, but the, the Northwestern one was not a bank no. shot. That was a straight-up 50-50 ball um, to not even the biggest player on the court, which is a different discussion. And uh, go watch that one back, too. Uh, but number three, Houston beat Oregon 66-56. Oregon, a team with high preseason expectations. All those expectations came crashing down when they lost to UC Irvine. But look, a lot of teams have had dumb losses this year. Uh, we're about to talk about a few other ones in a, in a second. Um, it, it, that doesn't mean that Oregon's a bad team. They're, they're probably okay. Um, they might end up as a bubble team like they did last year, and that would also mean that they started both years overrated and then kind of fell down to where they should be. But Houston is still a very, very good team, my number one team in the country for now. Um, then I, then number 16, Virginia beat number 19, Illinois. All I got to say is Virginia is just really, 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 really good. They are definitely way better than I thought they were. I was low on them in comparison to the AP poll. And uh, I will eat my words. Virginia is way better than I thought. They are a, they're an extremely good team. Um, and they deserve to be ranked in the top five right now. And they definitely have a top five resume in the country. And that will be reflected in my bracket tomorrow. Moving on to the Maui Invitational Games. 
Number 10, Creighton beat number 21, Texas Tech, 76-65. Number 14, Arizona beat Cincinnati, 101-93. Number 17, San Diego State beat Ohio State, 88-77. Those were the ranked actions or ranked games in the Maui Invitational so far. Let's move on to the upsets from last week. UNLV beat number 21, Dayton, 60-52 at home. A good win by UNLV, bad loss for Dayton. Arizona State beat number 20, Michigan, 87-62. to uh, I don't exactly see Arizona State sparking a, 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 a run to a one seed like Arizona did last year after beating a slightly overrated Michigan team, um, but still a good win for Arizona State nonetheless. Uh, then Murray State beat number 24, Texas A&M, 88-79, before Colorado would go on to beat number 24, Texas A&M. 103 to 75. Now I end off the podcast with Colorado for a very, very specific reason. Colorado has quite literally been the weirdest team in any sports history ever, to to, to just put it bluntly. They lose to every team they should beat, and they beat every team they should lose to. And I really don't know how to describe it other than that. Um, they're three and three on the season. They beat UC Riverside to start the season, but then lost to Grambling. After losing to Grambling, they beat Tennessee on the road, who was number 11 at the time. Then, carrying that momentum forward from beating a strong Tennessee team, they would go on to lose to UMass. And then, in the loser's bracket of that event that they had lost to UMass in, they would beat Texas A&M by 30. And then they lost to Boise State on Sunday, after all that ended. So, uh, Colorado plays Yale. They will probably lose to Yale. And then when they play Arizona State, they'll probably beat Arizona State. That would be the trend of this team. That's the way they've been. It makes no sense, but that's just how they've been playing all season long. Look out for them to lose to North Alabama, Northern Colorado, and Southern Utah before then beating Stanford, Cal, Oregon, Oregon State, USC, and UCLA all five in a row. Uh, That's just what they've been doing. If this team continues this trend, they might be the hardest team to evaluate in bracket history because... If they somehow end up like 20 and 10 and they have the super weird 5 and 5 non-conference where they've lost to every horrible team they've played but also pick up 3 4 ranked wins in the same span, I just don't know what you do with that kind of a team and they're just they're just an enigma. But that's why I wanted to end the podcast with that and uh, also Texas A&M not having a good basketball season after supposed to well after they were supposed to have a good season in both football and basketball for the first time in a while. They're now bad at both again. Yeah, rough year in College Station. Something's in the water there for the athletic department. I'd be, I'd be checking something. All right, well, that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, November 29th, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at NBA and college basketball action, also look back at highlights from Week 13 of college football action and discuss Week 12 of the NFL. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including our weekly college football rankings that were posted on Monday, his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that's updated on Wednesdays, and his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursdays. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.